0: (laughs) hello and welcome to the international families project podcast i'm luisa hello i am selva and together we're going to be interviewing six families that have
1: international background join us on our journey of exploration of how is it to live in an international family
0: The motivation for this podcast uh, comes from the fact, as you can hear from our accents, we (laughs) are international, uh, meaning we live in a different country than we were born. And we have partners who come from a different country than ours. And we speak several languages at home and our kids grow up in this international setting. And we suspect, now we know that that's not just us. There are many of us out there and getting more who
1: are in the same situation. So, this curiosity, this uh, a, a story of ours inspires us to go on this journey of this podcast with uh, six different episodes. And uh, we hope that you enjoy it and get inspired just like we did. We're live. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Nadia, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: Yes. So, Nadia, uh, Selva and you, you know each other,
2: but I have no idea who you are, so please just
0: tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay,
2: so my name is Nadia. I am half uh, Russian-Hungarian, half Cuban-Jamaican, and I was born and raised in Budapest, Hungary. I am currently, I mean, I've just finished my first year studies in France. I'm, uh, I'm studying politics, and humanities. Um, And currently, I am back to Hungary for the summer, and I am doing my little voluntary jobs (laughs) that I have to do for my university. Excellent. Wow. Wow.
0: Okay. So, I mean, we've been talking with other families on this podcast and other kids of international families, and a very big question that always comes up is the the language question. So, now, do you speak all these languages? I mean, Hungarian, obviously, but...
2: Um, I mean, I don't speak all of the languages. I obviously speak Hungarian. It's my first language. I grew up in Hungary. I studied in Hungarian. Um, so, I think that's my strongest language currently. I speak English. I am doing my studies in English right now. So... That language is getting stronger and stronger with each day that I'm spending in university. My other native language is Russian. My mom put a lot of effort into teaching me Russian and raising me up on Russian culture, Russian fairy tales, movies. So I would say um, my academic Russian is very weak, but my everyday Russian is is pretty good. I currently use it daily with my voluntary job. I I uh, work with uh, Ukrainian kids, and um, they we mostly understand each other. So, so I'm using my Russian quite a lot right now, and I am learning Spanish and French at the moment. I'm trying to strengthen those languages.
1: But Nadia, I'm I'm <laughs> curious because you introduce yourself as a Russian. A Hungarian, Cuban, Jamaican. Tell us a little bit about that multiple background you have.
2: Okay, so I will start with the Russian-Hungarian side. That's my mom's side. My granddad was Hungarian and my grandma is Russian. Uh, She was born and raised in St. Petersburg, but then she moved. After university, she moved to Hungary with my granddad. And my mom was actually born and raised in Hungary as well. So we don't really have a strong root to the the Russian family. Um, Most of the family is placed in Hungary at the moment. But my grandma thought that it was very important for both my mom and for me to learn and know Russian. Um, So my mom has a very good usage of Russian language, and she taught me Russian later on in life. Um, My grandma, she knows Hungarian, but she still strongly identifies as a Russian. Um, And she tries to follow all the traditions and the cultural um, aspects that, that comes with. Other than that, I think... What I can say about that side of the family is that um, we have kind of a strong bond in the Hungarian family as well. So so they have always been very supportive of the fact that both my mom's family is mixed and our family is mixed as well. So they never had an issue with that and they did all that they could to be supportive and to help and to, to help with the language barriers and on the other And yeah, um, on that side, we also have um, my stepdad, he's Egyptian. My mom um, is married to an Egyptian uh, man. So growing up, I gathered some of those cultural aspects as well. So it was actually very interesting. And I am currently studying at a Middle Eastern and Mediterranean program at university. So I think that it did have some impact on my life as well. And on the other side, I have my Cuban Jamaican family, which is mostly Cuban. My dad identifies as Cuban mostly. Um, unfortunately, I did not grow up with him. So, um, I am currently trying to reconnect with my Cuban roots and to learn more about the Cuban side of the family and about the language and about everything I can gather from the family. I've actually been talking a lot to Selva about that. So I uh, really hope that in the future, I will have a stronger connection with that side as well.
0: But so your dad was also half Jamaican then half Cuban or
2: yeah. Yes, but he he grew up in hungary or uh he's no he grew up in uh, cuba and then he moved he he currently lives in the in toronto yeah he currently Mm -hmm. lives in canada wow okay (laughs) this is amazing this is like really
0: all over the world and uh yeah really really cool um i'm just wondering because um so basically so you I mean, your mom learned Russian from your grandmother, so that's like firsthand kind of, you know, like firsthand, well, like real native speaker, but your mom is not really like 100% native speaker, right? In Russian. No, because, she's, not. she's not. But she still was able to convey the Russian language to you. Yes. Yes. Wow. Amazing. And that's
2: quite rare uh, because we yeah. have half-Russian, half-Hungarian families in Hungary, and even the second generation mostly doesn't speak Russian. So It's very rare that the parents actually put the effort into teaching the language, and I think it's mostly connected to the fact that it's really hard for themselves to find a place in the Hungarian society, so they are trying to learn Hungarian. They're trying to, to find their place. So they don't necessarily have the energy to learn Hungarian themselves and pass on the Russian language. And as kindergartens, I think the most common situation is that the kids do understand Russian while they're small, or they do learn Russian, but when they get into an educational institution like kindergarten, um, the teachers a lot of times do not know how how to connect with the kids because they don't understand each other. So they ask the parents to stop with the language, to stop speaking Russian at home or any other language in this sense. Um, So they fully have to switch to Hungarian. And with time, the kids completely forget Russian and they have to restart learning if they ever want to speak or understand.
1: But how was it for you? Because you mentioned earlier that you through your mom you were introduced to music to Russian cartoons like um uh, do you go to special co- schools like for singing in Russian do you go to, i i'm curious about your bringing when it comes to uh, Russian camps and and all these things that your mom uh did make sure that you that you had that experience So in order for you to develop your Russian, not only your language, but your culture, the culture by itself.
2: Okay, so when I was really small, my mom only spoke Russian to me. So when I got to kindergarten, I did not understand any Hungarian. So we did go through the same little story of, oh, maybe you should stop speaking Russian to the child. But my mom was like, no, maybe you should teach the kids Hungarian because you are the ones who are supposed to, you know, Um, teach these kids all the things. Actually, all of my knowledge of Hungarian fairy tales and folklore comes from kindergartens and school, because we did not have any of that at home. We only had the Russian side. Um, And eventually, when I went to to school, my mom had to switch to Hungarian, because when she wanted to help me with studies or wanted to, to somehow... You know, take part in my education. She had to speak Hungarian to me, and and eventually we did switch to Hungarian at home. But it was later on in life, so by that time I had a very strong knowledge of Russian, a very stable one. So it did not interfere with the, with my, um, with my knowledge. Um, later, when we had to switch to Hungarian, my mom had to find other ways to to keep my russian level up so i did go to russian camps um russian classes um we we started participating more in the russian community i think that my my singing journey my russian singing journey because i I do a lot of music actually started after i started primary school because um my mom met a woman who has a very strong participation in the Russian community. So through her, we kind of got back into the circulation of of the Russian minority in Hungary. Before that, I did go to some Russian classes. There was this very good afternoon school or afternoon community, um, which was designed for for, uh, bilingual kids, for us to learn how to write in Russian, learn how to read in Russian, um, to speak in Russian. So, so my mom did all that she could <laughs> to, to teach me. And only after fifth grade, so around the time I was 11 or 10, did we stop going to those afternoon classes because I had to focus more on my studies. So we just simply didn't have the time.
0: I'm just wondering because I kind of forced my kids through all this as well. And they, at some point they were like, no more,
2: no more Swedish
0: (laughs) enough. Now they're very happy about it, but you know, took some years. Um, Now, I just wonder how, how did it make you feel? You know, like, because if your mom only spoke Russian to you and you did not speak any Hungarian when you were a child, like how did it feel when you were playing with other kids or?
2: I don't remember. (laughs) I actually have no clue because All of my kindergarten memories are in Hungarian. So it was so early on that I just could not recollect. But what I know is that my mom loves to tell the story how I always distinguished home from the outside. So when I was at home, I was only willing to speak Russian. Like There was no way I would switch to Hungarian. But when I went to kindergarten, there was no way I would switch to Russian. So we actually had a little girl come... To, to our kindergarten and my teachers were like okay fantastic they will speak Russian so good but little four-year-old me was not willing to switch to Russian with her so I was like no I'm sorry we're we're in the kindergarten I'm not speaking speaking Russian here <laughs> <So> I, I <laughs> refused to to help I think but I think that's the main takeaway here that I, I just distinguished the two places and I was not willing to switch.
0: And do you have any memories? I mean, like, I'm sure it was like a gradual process. Of course, like when you're such a small child, you don't really have this like really detailed memories of it. But do you have like any recollection of any situation where you felt like um, maybe like an outsider or not really being part? Like, did you ever have that that feeling? Mm. Being special (laughs) in a positive and negative way, you know? I think...
2: um... I mean, not necessarily when I was a small child. I think then I only had this this um, thing when I thought that I could not read until I went to first grade. Uh, but eventually it turned out that I could read. I could not read in Hungarian. I could read in Russian. So for a while I thought that I could not read because I didn't understand the signs around me. But my mom told me, no, no, you could read. You just didn't understand what is around you because you could only read in Russian. So I think That's interesting. that was one. But after after kindergarten, I think that this being an outsider thing only came up when we started to understand politics a bit more or maybe history because uh, Hungary has a very problematic history with Russia and the Soviet Union. We have one of the main celebrations in Hungary is when the Hungarians fought for their independence against the Soviet Union. And obviously the the way they see Russians in that situation is not very positive. So I sometimes had to have these conversations with my classmates like, yeah, maybe like don't connect the two things because that's just not very nice. And I was not the one occupying Hungary back then. So you have to Be able to distinguish Um, and I think by with time this got better because we grew up we started to understand things so it was less and less of a problem but I know that when I was a child this was this was something that bothered me a lot Um, but other than that I think the, the thing that I realized is that my skin color is not very similar to the Hungarian one. So I'm much darker, darker than the Hungarians and my features are not very Hungarian either. So, so I remember having this, um, feeling that I wanted to look more like my mom because my mom is white, has uh, blue eyes. She's blonde. So I always wanted to look more like her and not, um, not like I look right now, like, Brown skin, brown hair, brown eyes, but then I grew fond of it. So, so it's it's fine now. But it took a lot of time to to get used to this feeling. So, but tell me about your Cuban side
1: now. Um, I heard that you recently you have been in Cuba, and yes. uh, <laughs> tell me about your connection to Cuba. Uh, also, because um, you're now talking about your physical appearance if it's not that hungarian or that russian what is uh, the similarity or what is the affiliation you see to the cuban culture
2: okay so this is very interesting because for years i was not very willing to learn spanish because uh, my mom was trying to teach me spanish because she she Um, is really good with languages. She actually learned Spanish um, when she was younger. So she tried to teach me a bit. But somehow, when I was younger, I was just not willing to really connect with that side because we were not very strongly um, connected with my dad. But when I grew up, when I got a little bit older and started to understand the importance of, you know, knowing all of your cultures and all of your heritage. Um, I don't know where to start with this because um, I think one of the m- most important experiences I've had in the past few years was, was actually going to Cuba. I've just returned um, a month ago or maybe a little bit more by now. And what was really interesting to see is that the... The community there is so different from what I have uh, experienced in, in Hungary or even in Europe in general. Like I've, I've realized how much I still don't know and how much I still have to learn to actually be able to fully say that I am Cuban. Because obviously genetically I, I, I'm half Cuban and, and my family is there. But I still I still have to learn so much to to be actually be able to to talk about it or or say that I know anything about Cuban culture. And what was really important to me, or was really important um yeah, for, for, for me in general was seeing how similar I am to that side of the family. Because here in Hungary, I'm not I don't look like my family. I I wouldn't say at all. But it's very rare that someone just sees me and my mom and says, wow, you, you guys, you guys are related. But but in Cuba, it was, okay, yeah, you, 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 you just, just look like us. This is perfect, yeah, you fit in perfectly. And that was really healing, I would say. And it was a very nice experience because even though um, I haven't seen that part of my family for a very long time, it was very nice to see how accepting everyone is and how how well I think I fit it in. Um even though culturally I've I've been so far away for years.
0: Oh, that's super interesting. That's
2: really interesting. Uh,
0: do you have do you have this um kind of um I don't know how to put it in words, but you know, we talk to other uh kids of like, you know, with course international families that's the topic of the podcast yeah and they had this thing like that yeah sometimes they like totally identify like with uh well actually with the part of the family uh, with the country they don't live in so it'll be like you know oh we actually oh the the people here are so different than us you know although they are actually born and raised in that you know in that country so uh do you have that feeling too that you like I mean, apart from the from the you know appearances or, but you have this feeling that you don't really fit, like don't belong
2: and not belong, but like that you're different than other Hungarians. Like I did have this feeling for years. I think I had this feeling until I moved out of Hungary, because this happened a year ago, um, and until that point, I couldn't fully identify as a Hungarian because in Hungary the concept of being mixed is not very common. I wouldn't say it's rare because there are more and more mixed families in Hungary but it's not necessarily common. So if someone asks me where are you from in Hungary I can just say oh I'm Hungarian because then 100% the next question will be like okay but like where, are, where you? are you really from? <laughs> where are you really from? And then you're like, no, no, I'm, I'm like, I can play this game of no, no, I'm Hungarian. Like I've been born and raised, but I did have a lot of conversations starting with, okay, where are you from? I'm Hungarian. No, where are you from? No, I'm Hungarian. Okay. But like, why do you speak Hungarian? I've been born and raised in Hungary. I've had experiences uh, when I go with my mom somewhere and they just do not speak to me. They speak to her directly. And they're like, okay, where is the girl from? And my mom is like, she's Hungarian. Does she have a Hungarian citizenship? She was born and raised in Hungary. And then I say, I was born and raised in Hungary. And they're like, oh my God, she speaks Hungarian. And then she's like, she's born and raised. So I did have this feeling for a very long while, and I usually identify as Russian, actually, because um, because obviously from my mom, she has she tried to have this strong feeling of, oh, you you like she had to do all that she could for me to stay connected to Russia, and a lot of times with mixed families, I think this goes into a bit like over the top sense of, yeah, yeah, we're Russian, we're Russian, and repeating it as many times as you can. So I, I, for a very, very long while, I I'd identified as Russian, but then again, we have this issue of me not looking neither Russian nor Hungarian. So after a while, <clears throat> I go back to the circle of, yeah, but I'm also Cuban. So it's very rare that I just can go past <laughs> an experience without explaining the whole family tree. Because then if you're Cuban, why don't you speak Spanish? Oh, because I'm mixed. Okay, but then if you're Hungarian, why do you look like that? Oh, because I'm mixed. So, yeah. And then when I moved to to France, um, in university we have a lot of mixed kids, a lot of foreigners, a lot of internationals. So I have two ways of answering the question of where are you from? I either give the, oh, I'm half Russian, half Hungarian, half Cuban, half Jamaican, or I just say, I was born and raised in Hungary. I don't say I'm fully Hungarian. I say I was born and raised. And then do That's with this so information whatever you want.
0: And, and now that you're in France, I mean, I, I know this, I have this, drive Somehow to connect with Swedish people who are living in Germany for some reason or with Polish people, like, you know, to kind of like when I meet a fellow, you know, Polish or Swedish person, I'm like, oh, hi, you know, we understand each other, whatever, which is kind of idiotic because I've been living here for most 30 years, so it's not really, you know. Uh, but uh, do you have that now in France that, like, when you meet other fellow Hungarians, you're like, oh, yeah, you know,
2: it's us? Or is it more with Russians? I mean, we definitely do. I. We have two other Hungarians in my class. Um, one of them was my classmate in Hungary, so we didn't have to have this kind of like re- revelation moment. The other Hungarian uh she comes from a different city, and we definitely did have this oh my God, you're Hungarian cool, we're sticking together for a while so it's it's very nice to have someone to speak your native language with, to be able to connect to through literature to To politics, through daily conversations, so I think it was very important for us to kind of connect with Hungarians, Um, and we are. I I already see that with the upcoming uh, freshmen, because um, in the group chat we actually found two Hungarians already, and we did have a big celebration with the other Hungarians. Like yes. We're growing. It's more of us now. Um, I did have a very similar conversation with the Russians who are coming to the university. It's not as strong because I never lived in Russia. So it's mostly just like, oh, my God, you speak Russian. Cool. Perfect. Perfect. We're going to help each other. Um, And other than that, what I realized is that it was much easier for us to connect with the other Eastern Europeans, which... just be a coincidence that most of my friends are from eastern europe right now as well but we did find a lot of culture aspects that were that helped us to connect more easily um so i think there is definitely that that we have to like we stick together and we still stick together
1: i have a question because um you you mentioned that you um do a little bit of singing or I would say a lot of singing. So uh, you mentioned earlier as well that you were singing in Russian when you were a child. So I also know that you uh, sing in Spanish. So how is your, con- your connection through music uh, to these different cultures? Because it's not only about the language, it's the kind of music you sing
2: okay so i will start with the hungarian one um i did not sing a lot in hungarian while i was in hungary because i'm not a big fan of hungarian music um at least hungarian pop music which is a me problem so it, it has nothing to do with the hungarian pop culture but what i realized is as soon as i moved out the easiest way for me to connect with my roots in my hungarian roots and memories is to listen to Hungarian songs. So currently I have a lot of Hungarian songs in my playlist and a lot of Hungarian songs I like to sing with my friends. But this definitely changed um, since I moved to France. What I realized in our family is that I think for us, generally the easiest way to connect with each other and with life (laughs) is through music. Um, I do receive a lot of music recommendation from the cuban family as well and my mom's way of teaching me russian in the beginning was through songs so i know a lot of russian folk songs Uh, in the community we sing a lot of russian songs so for me music is the easiest way to connect and the easiest way or the most or the strongest way i connect with my cultures so it definitely plays a strong part in my life. With Cuban music, I mostly listen to it. I, I don't sing in Spanish very often, but I will definitely try to grow the repertoire in the in the future. But singing, sing, sing in English and in in Russian Hungarian
0: i I just wonder, um so the so you say you get like musical recommendation you know to from the family to listen to is it I just wonder, um is this the music that's like contemporary I mean because you said folk songs that's kind of like you know very mm-hmm. well sounds uh not like the you know the now the most uh popular uh, top 10 uh, Russian singer I don't know do you get like do you, do you listen to like the contemporary music like you know what's in right now in Russia do you know that or is it more like this nostalgia thing you know uh, I hope you
2: understand what I'm what I'm getting at like um, you know um it like- it's mostly nostalgia because it's mostly I mean what my mom sees from Hungary, from Russian music is mostly either what is going in the TV. I mean, until the point we like it was possible to watch Russian TV. like that was the her way of finding Russian songs and songs that my grandma passed on to her. So it's lullabies. it's um I mean, my my grandma, um she was born in forty five so it's mostly war songs, you know, because that was um in the Soviet Union, that was a way to. Keep the nation together as well through music is like war songs so we know a lot of those um especially in the russian community or the russian speaking community i think that's a more accurate way of saying it um these songs are the ones that everyone knows everyone grows up on so first it's the cartoons and then it's the war songs and then those are that everyone knows and then when i was a teenager i started going to russian camps and i met actual russian kids and kids who who live in russian-speaking countries and that was my way of finding more contemporary music so so my repertoire definitely grew with that and i connect those songs with those memories from those camps Um, but it was, definitely, it was definitely like a turning point in my life to go to those camps and connect with what is currently happening in Russia and not just the idealized uh, imaginary land that my grandma left behind and built up in her head. Mm-hmm. And with, with Cuban songs, I mean, it's, it's a mix. <laughs> because with, with uh, Latin songs, we get a lot of those in the radio because... In Europe, they love those, they love Latin songs. They Even they though a lot of them do not understand them, they just love listening to the written. Guilty, guilty. <laughs> so, so We hear a lot of those, and then my dad sometimes sends me some songs that are older you- and are more important for him emotionally. And it's real nice to listen to those as well.
1: Have you ever sang with your grandmother?
2: yes, w- which one
1: <laughs> uh, your Cuban grandmother
2: yes, definitely. um I mean, she's a singer, so her way of connecting is is music as well. I think the family's love for music is strongly tied to her as well because she has a great knowledge of Cuban music, a great knowledge of songs, she has an amazing voice so so. I think an easy way to connect with her is to sing with her. And it's actually a very emotional experience as well, because music means a lot to both of us. And even if, if there are difficulties or language barriers, uh, if you sing a song, it's much easier to you know just connect and feel connected. So yes, I definitely did sing with her and, and it was really nice.
0: You just touched a topic which I find extremely interesting. Um and this is this um that basically that your grandmother gave your mom this kind of idealized version of Russia, you know, that's um kind of detached from the actual maybe reality. Um and uh, and your mom kind of passed it on to you. And so I just wonder, did you ever like we said you went to Russian camps, were they in Russia, like actually in Russia or were they f- for kids in Hungary who are Russian? Like how
2: often do you go to Russia basically, or did you go? I think my first time in Russia was when I was seven. Um, Until then, I had this strong urge to go to Russia. Like, I remember begging my mom to take me to Russia because I want to see the Red Square. I want to see the Red Square. I want to see it. So it was a huge moment for me when we actually went to Moscow. Um, My first Russian camp was, or, like, Russian-speaking camp was in Slovakia, actually. we had kids from um, um Ukraine, Russia, um, Belarus, Moldova, a lot of a lot of the countries from from Eastern Europe, um, all of them who had some kind of tie to a Russian-speaking community or country. Um and after that, the um there is this huge, huge camp. Which was very active during the Soviet Union, Artek, and it's in Crimea. So yeah. Like if you by the Russian propaganda and by the Russian narrative, that's Russia. Um, so what they they were pushing there is that this is Russian territory because um, this was after 2014. But obviously, this is not <laughs> what is, you know, the, the current political view or just generally the, the view on, on the territory. So, so that's kind of problematic when I look back at it. But I was a child, so I did not really understand this kind of connections. Um, but we did have a lot of kids there as well from not only Russian-speaking countries, but basically anyone who grew up in a mixed family so my best friends from those camps are are from north macedonia from from lebanon from tunisia so it's definitely not just a russian camp it was more of a a way for kids like me to connect with each other
0: So you never really had like a total reality check, right? Because, I mean, because this camp, the thing is I I went to those Polish camps in Poland where like everybody was from all over the world (laughs) and had like all skin colors and all spoke all kinds of languages. And we all had some rudimentary knowledge of Polish and uh, we met in Poland. So I guess that was like an Eastern European thing maybe to bring all these kids back in. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, so, so you never really like spent time like as a, I don't know, I guess teenager, like already kind of realizing what's going on around you, like in Russia, like in real Russia, Russia, right?
2: I mean, we only went as tourists. We only mm-hmm. went as tourists and it's very interesting to see actually because so I have two views on Russia right now or maybe three, I could say. One is the one I see with my own eyes when I go to Russia and the one I read about in the news, you know, what I can put together with my mm-hmm. current knowledge and my current understanding of the situation. The other one is the one I grew up with, is the cultural one, the the fairy tales, the the folk songs, etc. And the third one is the one I see in the Russian TV. So what was really interesting for me to see is when the war started, the narrative got so strikingly different because obviously you read it's very it's it's very hard in hungary to distinguish because i see my grandma for example who only consumes russian media she still does somehow um and she has a very different very different view on on what is happening in the world right now than those who who read Russian media, but read something else as well. Mm. So that was a reality check, I would say, Um, the way they handled the situation afterwards or the way they're handling it right now. My grandma still has a very different view on what is happening right now than basically anyone around her has. And Hungarian media has a strong say in this as well because Hungarian media... um, somehow follows the russian media so if you listen to only one kind of news channel and in those little cities outside of budapest it's harder to to get any other signal um than like one or two channels, those, those radio stations, they usually say the same things as the Russian propaganda says or a bit watered down, obviously not the same, but but a very the, the same direction. So there is no way of her getting out of that bubble because mm-hmm. there is no other media that she can consume. So I think that was a reality check and especially um, that my last visit to Russia was not long before the war broke out i think that was a very interesting not field trip but but like a new like a lot of information i that i get there is is some that i i still i still use when i try to understand what is going on in the world
1: and let me ask you because we have a talk. It's interesting when you mention about the language and your point of view about what's going on at the moment, um, you know, in the impact on the world and Russia. My, 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 my question is, like, how... In what other uh, way do you... Uh, expand your your knowledge of of, or your experiences with the culture, both Russian, Hungarian, Cuban, you mentioned Egyptian earlier. Like, what about food? What about, uh, I
2: don't know, literature? Uh, You name it. Okay, so I think the easiest way to expand knowledge about this is read and to listen because I mean, food is really important as well. So I cannot skip that for example, because um, for example, Egyptian food is strikingly different from European and then, or like Eastern European, let's stick to that. uh, Because in Eastern Europe, there are more similarities as we (laughs) recognized um, during my first year in university. it's it's also very important to you know learn how to make those things that they make um, in different countries (laughs) that i'm connected to because that is also a way of 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 um taking up and preserving heritage um other than that i read quite a lot Um, i i was raised in the hungarian education system so I know a lot of Hungarian literature. I've read a lot of Hungarian literature, um, classic and contemporary. I know a lot of Hungarian poems and ballads that I think are very important to me personally, because I really love that kind of um, literature. With Russian, it was very similar as well, because my grandma is very, very focused on on me knowing Russian literature. And Russian literature is also very famous, especially classic ones. So so you really can't just go around it. What I try to do is, even though it's really hard, um, when I have the opportunity and the time, I try to read Russian classics in Russian, which is a challenge. (laughs) Uh, They are long in themselves, (laughs) but if you want to read them in the original language, which is obviously my academic and like old Russian is not very strong, so I, I always have to dedicate some time and effort to that. Um and then the other things I can do is listen to what those who actually live in these cultures and in these countries have to say. And this is not only important in the sense of culture, but in the sense of understanding it understanding, uh, um, a real, from a real perspective, because what I've been learning about in university is, for example, Orientalism and post-colonialism is how Europeans see nations and cultures that are outside of their own. And for example, what we see in Europe, um, or what we understand about the Middle East or North Africa is completely different from what they see or what they experience. And we can't just rely on that kind of knowledge that we have or this kind of information that we we receive in Europe. We have to actually go there to talk to the people, to learn the language. So that's why I will try to learn Arabic, for example, um, if I have the opportunity. And I had the same experience with... Cuba, when I went to Cuba, that we have a very different understanding and idea of Latin America um, in Europe. And it's very different when you actually go there and experience it and see it and hear it and feel it. So I think traveling is also very important in this sense. And spending time. Uh, let, me, let me
1: ask you about stereotypes because uh, when it comes to stereotypes, Cubans uh, are very well-known... Uh, for the music and the dancing, so yes. how is your dancing? Don't ask me that.
2: <laughs> Don't ask me that. It's not good.
0: It's not good. Is the Europeans also good in dancing? Come on.
2: <laughs> it exists? Um, yeah. Do you, you like the dancing? it, it exist? Yes. Yeah, so this is a stereotype. For example, that all of the Cubans can dance. And, uh, yes, I don't know what to say about that.
1: I think I think you're a very good dancer. Thank maybe you. your dad is not the best representation of the Cubans. Yeah,
2: maybe he's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I definitely hear this kind of stereotypes a lot. Is that, oh, then, I don't know, uh, you have a... Um, what is that, temperament? <laughs> like, you, you must be loud. You must be, I don't know, temperamental. You must be a great dancer. And I'm like, okay. I mean, that's true, but why, why do you have to connect to stereotypes? And, and I think with Russians, they have the same as well. And, and what I've seen, um, they have the same with Egyptians. They have the same with a lot of countries. Um, actually, the first class I had in, at university was connected to stereotypes. Um, we had this game where everyone had to introduce themselves and had to say where they're from and then say, oh, I am from, I don't know, Hungary, so I must drink a lot and I must be, I I don't know, I don't want to say more Hungarian stereotypes because they're not nice. Or, oh, I am from Russia, so I go to school on a bear and I drink a lot of vodka and I am... I'm really used to the cold. So we had this little game, and it was very interesting to see um, how, you know, how people see this kind of stereotypes, those who actually live in those countries, and how these stereotypes, like are these stereotypes actually true? Is there a base to them? Or is that just someone seeing someone and deciding, oh, everyone is like that? So I think stereotypes are important, but they're Not necessarily useful. Mm. Uh, Did you choose your field of study because of your mixed heritage? Um, Yes, to a certain extent. The university I go to um, has seven different campuses. In all of those campuses, you can focus on one region. So... I mean, three of those, like, this is a French university, so only three of those campuses have actual English classes and English courses. And the three I could choose from were Europe and America, Asia, and uh, the Middle Eastern and Mediterranean program. And, I mean, I did not choose the university only by the name, obviously, so it's not like, oh, I only have these three to choose from, so I will choose one of those. Um, I was actually interested in the Middle East and the Medi- Mediterranean. I still am. So that was my reason to to choose this university and this campus because we focus on politics, we focus on culture, we focus on languages. And I wanted to know more about the Middle East because out of all of these countries that I'm connected to, I think that's the one... Um, I know the least about, I would say. I mean, countries, regions, like Egypt in this sense, so it's, <laughs> it's not like the Middle East is a country. <laughs> you know, I was
0: just thinking, because we, just talk, we were just talking about stereotypes and I was just thinking, oh my God, what, in France, you can study in English, you know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Stereotype. Yeah, almost wow. wow. Strong <laughs> one. Yeah, <laughs> Since when? <laughs> This has some basis, honestly. But totally
0: there you go. There you go. There is
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Um Maybe just like a couple last uh, questions. I actually, I mean, I'm curious because I mean, you really have a very mixed baggage uh, of you know, uh, heritages, but also like experiences, and and I'm wondering. Um, imagine, well, you know, some future, probably not all too distant. too distant, you'll probably meet someone and you maybe will have kids. And mm-hmm. now I'm just wondering, so what culture will you pass on to your kids?
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's a tough one, I would say, because it very much depends on the nationality of the person as well. Well, let's say, okay, I'm just going to give you like a case study. so uh, okay. just, let's do that. Because I'm curious. Okay, so uh,
0: so you're going to stay in France um, and you're going to meet, a, um, I don't know, a person from Middle East because you're mm-hmm. studying this, so um, maybe not too. Um, yeah, and then you're going to decide to stay in France and raise your kids there. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Um, so why I'm thinking about that is because the two two strongest um, cultural backgrounds that I have are the Hungarian and the Russian one. So the ones I could actually pass on with the whole package would be those two.
0: But you will have to choose to which language to speak with your child. You won't be able to speak both. Trust me, yes. I tried. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's that's what I like. That's that's why I said that it depends on the nationality of the person, because if it's a Russian or a Hungarian person, then obviously we have like the jolly joker of okay, you speak that language, I speak that language, let's do that. But I mean hopefully I will have the help of the family. So, you know, my mom can help with the Russian, I will speak Hungarian or vice versa. Um also, I think I I will most definitely try to pass on what I know about Cuba um, to the child. And I would try to keep up a connection, maybe even a stronger one than I had in my childhood with Cuba. I mean, that could be a bit confusing because that's a lot to mix, especially if uh the partner would be of another nationality so that's that's a lot of logistics to to put together (laughs) but i would like to to pass on as much as i can because it would be a shame and it would be a waste i would say if if this would not happen because all these cultures are very rich and very interesting so i wouldn't just be able to to say goodbye to, to two of those and say like okay that's it you figure out the rest Or something. And to follow
1: up a little bit on that question that Luisa just uh, asked you, um, I would like to ask you that if you would describe, you could describe yourself, um, and if you could say uh, that you have uh, something, uh, that you have got something positive from each culture, or each uh, national na, um sorry uh, each nationality that you are in your baggage um can you mention one thing from all like the every culture you have with you like from uh, Hungary Russian
2: uh, Egypt Jamaica Cuba but that's a hard one, though. That's a tough one. I wouldn't be able to just pick one thing from all of those. Like, you know, it's it's the whole package. <laughs> I mean, all of them have their, like, I wouldn't say, no, that's not a good way to put it. No, I I, I wouldn't be able to choose one, honestly. I think it's just nice to be able to connect to as many people as I can and to as many nations as I can, because then when I go to Hungary and I go to, to, for example, to a folk concert, then I can feel like, oh yeah, that's, that's what I grew up with. That's my culture. I love that. Um, Or I think I, I especially feel that with literature, with Hungarian literature, I, if I read Hungarian literature, I can, you know, like, when you speak a language, you know you're fluent when you actually feel the language, when you can can just sense that, oh, yeah, that is a very nice word. And then you know how it was put together, you know, the history behind it. Um, because, for example, with Hungarian, um, around 100 years ago, maybe more, I think maybe 200 years ago, there was a full change in the Hungarian language. So I think it's really nice when you, for example, read poetry, and then you can see, oh, that's a really old word, old word, because we do not use that anymore, or or just the way it flows, it's really beautiful. So I think if I had to pick one thing, that I think Hungarian poetry would be the one I love the most about Hungary and and Budapest in general, because I grew up here, and I think it's one of the most beautiful cities ever. Um, Cuba, I think the people and the music because um somehow i feel that cuban music has a very interesting mixture in it because even if it sounds happy it can be very sad because uh, like if you translate the song you're just like oh wow they're actually singing about leaving their home and and the nostalgia they feel when they think about havana for example but wow, it sounds really nice. So until you translate it, it's it's, it's like very upbeat and very dancey. And then the people, because I don't know if it's because um, having family outside of the country is very common. So they're used to, you know, someone coming in, okay, I've never seen you before, but you're part of the family. So I love you. And and that is really nice because it, it gives a very accepting and very loving mixture. Um, with Russian, I cannot really choose one thing. I think maybe Russians have, again, poetry is beautiful. Their, their folk songs are beautiful. I really love how they are not sugarcoating it. They are sad most of the time. Russian songs are really sad and very emotional, and they have a very beautiful way of showing sadness in their language. So I think that is very beautiful as well. Um, the way they portray the homeland, the way they portray longing, love, etc. cetera. And I, I am really fascinated by Slavic and Russian mythology and fairy tales. I actually did a project in high school on that, I, and it's really interesting. So that is something I love as well. And Egypt again, the people, the people, and and the sense of you know this being alive. I really love how when you go uh, to the streets at midnight, for example, Cairo is still alive. Cairo is still loud. Cairo just woke up. They are very ready to to start a day at I don't know three in the afternoon uh I mean on the streets so so I think that is really beautiful as well and what I really love about the um Arab world, if I can say that on the on the middle or the middle East, maybe I don't even know how to which word to use. I really love how they're also very connected to each other so so through the Arabic language they can have very strong bonds with each other and just meet someone on the street and be like, oh, oh you're, you speak the same language. Okay, you're my brother now. So that is really beautiful. I think that is that is really nice as well. And I think we should learn from that because I feel like in Eastern Europe, we don't really have this kind of strong knit relationship with our neighbors and our um I don't know, like (laughs) culturally closer, closer countries. So I think we should learn more about that and more from that. Yeah.
0: Oh, that was so interesting. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you. You got me a little bit emotional on that one about (laughs) the Cubans. (laughs) I'm not saying.
0: That was beautiful. Okay. We are like one hour into the conversation, yes, the conversation. Thank you so much, I could speak with you forever so interesting <laughs> thank you very much thank you thank you very much for the opportunity thank you
1: thank you for listening hope you enjoyed this episode and we will listen to the whole series the podcast is part of the International Families Project the International Families Project was founded by the European Union under the Erasmus Plus funding scheme You can find out more
0: about the project at hostingtransformation.eu slash project
1: slash international minus families. If you have any comments or would like to contact us, please write us an email to internationalfamilies2023 at gmail.com. You can find the
0: web address of the project and the contact details also in the show notes. All the
1: best. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Heh <laughs>